Michelle Campbell. She's my co-author of Let's Go on Safari and the founder of Wild Wonderful World. She's taught me everything I know about animals and she's an amazing safari guide and I can't wait for you guys to learn more about her. Hi everyone, I'm Michelle. And I'm Grant. Uh, we're currently on an expedition through Africa to highlight the challenges of wildlife law enforcement organizations throughout the continent. organizations that nobody knows about that are protecting massive tracts of land throughout Africa that do not see the benefit of tourism. Uh, we are helping in every way that we can by offering our assistance on the ground and also highlighting the challenges that are faced by these organizations. traveling off the beaten path to not only find these projects but the people behind them who are putting their lives on the line every day to save these species. Tell us what you do and where you are located. 
Firstly, thank you so much, Kate, for inviting me to be a part of your Club 15. I'm very excited to speak to you and all of your listeners today. As you said, my name is Michelle, and I'm the founder of Wild Wonderful World. I'm also a safari guide and conservationist. And at Wild Wonderful World, we connect passionate people to the wild through intentional safari experiences and support conservation projects through our dedicated wildlife fund. Kate, I'm speaking to you today from a small bush town outside the Kruger National Park in South Africa. Awesome. Okay. How old were you when you first went on safari? And did this trip spark your passion to work in conservation? So I went on my first safari when I was seven years old, the same age that you went on yours, and I fell in love with everything to do with the bush. I was the first in the morning to get up to go on morning game drives and just loved being out in the open vehicles, never knowing what you see around the next corner. I 100% agree with the fact that it was the start of my conservation career. It certainly was the spark of my passion of wildlife. And I think that's probably the main reason I became a safari guide, which later led me to doing what I am today with conservation. Definitely, you sparked my passion to start conservation when I was my first safari, so I can relate. Okay, so what is your favorite part about showing people the wild Africa? Well, I think the obvious answer would be to see everybody's excitement when they see the big five, or in your case, the cheetah. <laughs> um, but for me, it's so much more than that. The bush is incredibly interconnected and complex. And one of my favorite things is when we've come back from a safari and we've seen incredible things and I ask everybody, what's the favorite thing that you saw today? And somebody will say something like the termites. And for me, it's just incredible to watch people's understanding of the bush develop to become as passionate as I am. And also to watch their journey of when they arrive to when they leave, and so very, very often they leave completely passionate about the bush and also importantly, I think, advocates for wildlife. Yes, definitely. When people go on safari, it really changes you, I know, especially when I saw my first cheetah. It was amazing and incredible. Wow. Okay, so you lived out of your truck for 385 days. Why did you do this? And tell us a few of your favorite stories and experiences. That's right. Some might call me crazy, uh, but we just had a real need to go and explore Africa a little bit more. But we wanted to find out what the conservation challenges were across the continent outside of South Africa. So we decided to move into our Land Rover and travel not just into the continent, but off the beaten track. We wanted to go through the tiny villages on all the dirty, dusty roads, and it gave us a really unique insight into the different challenges faced by people and animals across the continent. Um, it's a big question to outline my favorite uh, things in a whole year, but I would say as a guide, the wildlife highlights that we experienced were unforgettable. Seeing gorillas in the wild, chimpanzees in the wild, a shoebill, which not many people have heard of, but it's a stalk taller than a man that catches fish. We saw that in Uganda and the mighty bat migration in, Zim uh, in Zambia. Really just unbelievably um, mind-blowing wildlife experiences. And then I suppose from a conservation focus point, um, obviously that was the reason why, why we traveled. I would say there, there's a collection of 
really memorable, wonderful experiences and, and experiences that were sort of actually almost shocking and, and really sad to relate. Um, the anti-poaching experiences that we had were probably some of the most memorable um, where there was the euphoric moments where we would track down and find a poacher, arrest the poacher, and you're just so proud that you've done a great job. But then on the complete contrast, there's those times where you're on patrol and you turn a corner and you walk into a poached elephant or a snared animal and you just want to cry and give up on the spot. Um, so I think it was, it was a really emotional trip in that sense that we really experienced absolute euphoric highs and, and then lows as well. Um, other experiences, joining a elephant rehabilitation center in, in Zambia, where we got to watch elephant orphan and orphans who had lost their mothers, often because of poaching, um, be rehabilitated and take their first steps back into the wild and speaking to the keepers who had the most incredible relationships with these elephants was so heartwarming and, and something I don't think we'd ever forget. Um, from the adventure point of view, uh, the moments of getting stuck in the mud and trying to dig ourselves out, uh, the wildlife walking around our camps at night, and when all of the times, it, every time you forget something and you've left something outside your camp at night and it gets taken by a hyena. Uh, Kate, I, when we connected in Kenya, I showed you my hat that it had been chomped by a hyena. So just really funny memories like that. Um, and the last one, when we were traveling on some very dirty, muddy roads in Uganda, we came across a big banana truck that was stuck right at the bottom of a ditch and everyone had tried to go around the edges to get past him and everyone got stuck. So the first thing we had to do with good old Landy Kohanya was come to the rescue and pull everybody out so that we could eventually pass. So yeah, certainly a year full of adventure and conservation highlights, lowlights. We, we came back with pretty wide open eyes, that's for sure. I remember touring your truck. I thought it was amazing that you lived out of such a small space and you didn't have electricity and you showered out of a big bucket. And But I can imagine seeing all of the amazing things that you saw when you were in your truck for that long. That must have been so amazing. Okay, so now let's talk about conservation. How is a typical safari experience with you in Wild Wonderful World different than a typical safari? So it's our passion to bring our guests closer to the wild, to expose the wonders of nature, but also to teach our guests about the challenges faced by the wildlife that they're seeing and give them the opportunity to get involved as little or as much as they want. All of our safaris, regardless of conservation involvement, all contribute to our wildlife fund. So no matter what you do, you're supporting the wildlife and places and people you see in every step of the way. I know I love going on safari with you. I'm so excited for this summer. I'm so excited to tag a pangolin. And I love cheetah, so I'm so excited to do cheetah conservation. And I'm so excited to meet Dex, my elephant. And I know safaris with you are just incredible. Okay, so have you witnessed people change by experience the wild? How so? I think everybody that travels on safari is changed by the experience. I think it's the very raw connection to nature that you have when you're in these vast open plains, um, the animals that you see, the interconnectedness of the wildlife that you experience. 
And Kate, I actually think you're a great example of somebody who changes during a safari, uh, maybe not always to the extent that you have, but it's watching somebody arrive with a general interest in wildlife, learning more about the animals that they see, learning to love them, become passionate about them, and going home an advocate. And for me, it's the most incredible journey to witness. I can imagine it's very hard for people not to change when they come on safari, because seeing animals in their natural habitats is really inspiring. Okay, so if you had to pick a favorite animal to watch out in the wild, what would that be and why? So I had to think very hard about this question. And I nearly said cheetah because it's your favorite and I do love cheetah. But given a lot of thought, my favorite to watch is the elephant. And the reason being is not just because they're so big, but it's the contrasts. It's their incredible delicacy with the tiny fingers of their trunk. And then the next moment they're pushing over a 100 year old tree just with like a little push um, of their whole body. It's the fact that they maintain the ecosystem and allow the small little creatures, even like the dung beetles, to have an important role. That they maybe push over trees one minute, but without them, so many other hundreds of thousands of trees wouldn't be able to spread their, their seeds. Um, it's everything about elephants, even their communication, their compassion, their intelligence. I could sit with them for not just hours, but days. And in fact, that's probably why I became a guide as well, so that I could spend all day every day just watching elephants. <laughs> I agree. I remember one of my most amazing memories was when we went on safari. It was late at night and there were elephants that were digging in the sand. They were trying to find water. And like, we couldn't see any water, but they knew there was water under there. And it was amazing just sitting there and watching them. So I know elephants are just incredible to watch. Okay, so you include kids and community members in your work. Why is this so important? So I'm going to start with the community members. Um, and when we say communities, um, I'm assuming you're referring to the, the people that live really on the, the borders, on the edges of these wilderness areas or game reserves. And I think it's so important to, to have these community members involved with conservation because a they're on the front line of it so these are the people who are living side by side with elephants lions animals every single day often unfortunately a lot of their experiences are negative because the elephants are coming to raid their crops the lions coming to eat their goats and without having the opposite side of having a positive experience with wildlife where is the need to protect it so I think when we, when we work with our communities, it's really to give them not just that positive involvement, so taking, the, taking them on, on a game drive. And for some people, especially even, I mean, older people, it's the first time they have ever sat in a vehicle and watched an elephant grazing. The only experience prior to that may be that they've watched the elephants eating their crops and then they know that they can't feed their families. So to create this positive experience, I think is really important. And then the other reason that we work with the communities is to protect them. Um, you know, elephants, wild dogs, lions, they all need protecting from community members, but likewise, community members need protecting from them. So it's coming up with really intelligent ways to reduce human wildlife conflict, helping farmers with 
beehive fences, um, all, all different sort of um, really intelligent methods that, that help alleviate that stress. Um, and of course, remember that it's the communities that we need on our side for the poaching war. Um, many, many, many times you've got poachers who go through these communities as a last line before getting into the reserves. And if they're on our side, then we can even reduce poachers getting into the reserves in the first place. So that's our, that's our main focus with, with communities, um, as well as, of course, the, the education side of things. We teach them about the benefits of wildlife, why we want to protect wildlife, and um, especially the kids. That's, that's really important in, in schools, which brings me on to you and your generation. And of course, we absolutely can't do it without you. Um, I think we're in a really interesting position where we're going to move from having generations both now and in the, in, the, um, in the past where a minority of people in those generations were advocates for wildlife. Now we've got this opportunity to move to a new generation where the majority can be advocates for wildlife and really, really force change through, not just in the way that we act at home or the way that we consume certain products, but by changing cultural beliefs and having a very impactful uh, shift in mindsets generally. So now can you tell us how you use technology when working with animals? So we're quite privileged in that we work with quite a vast array of different conservation projects. We work with researchers who use technology for coloring the animals that they're researching, and that helps with a few things. So first, it helps them track the movement of animals, and it helps them physically locate the animals so that they can more readily observe their behavior. Why is this important? Well, it's important because the more that we know about animals, the more, or better, I should say, the better we can conserve them. Um, from an anti-poaching point of view, we've worked with rangers that use smart technology, so a, an app on a phone or a device that not only tracks it where they walk on their patrols, but it also allows them to input incidents. So, for example, if they see poacher tracks or they pick up a wire snare or even they've found a poached animal, they can log that into their device with the smart technology and later pull that up onto a computer, which allows them to look at their whole reserve, highlighting the hotspots, which then make sure that they really can concentrate on those areas to protect the animals that move in and out of there, but also improve the efficiency of their patrols. Um, other, other really, really fascinating technology that we've, we've been a part of is putting implants into rhino horns. Now this implant has a GPS tracker in it, but also contains a microchip. So the rangers can use the GPS to help locate the rhino and make sure that it's still within a safe area. Um, and then if the worst happens and the rhino is poached, the implant inside the horn means that the security forces can track down that horn to try and catch the poachers. And if they do that, the microchip within the horn within that implant, then also allows them to connect on a database which rhino it was from, which then immediately gets the poacher in trouble because it's proof of where the poacher got that rhino horn. So pretty fascinating use of technology, um, though I think we're really only at the beginning with how much we can use it. Wow, that is fascinating. I did not know 
about the rhino implant. That is so cool. And I know collaring animals is so amazing because I know I love Dex. And it's so amazing that he gets to just be out in Africa. And we still get to keep an eye on him. So that's incredible. And speaking of Dex, can you tell me more about Dex? Absolutely. So for everybody else, Dex is an elephant that we collared about a month ago with thanks to Kate for raising the funds to provide the, the new tracking collar. Now, Dex is an elephant. He's a bull elephant who has been monitored by Elephants Alive for the last sort of five years or so. And Elephants Alive is a research uh, NGO based in the Greater Kruger National Park. And what they're trying to do is learn more about elephant behavior and specifically about how elephant bulls use the area that they move in and around and what kind of spaces their home range is. Is it a big space and they move back and forth? How do they use that? Is it because of trees, plants, other elephants? And so there's a really fascinating amount of research going on there. And yeah, so we collared him about a month ago. Uh, he was darted out of a helicopter and put to sleep. Then the collar was replaced and he was very, very calmly woken up again and off he trundled back into the bush. Now, the collar is brilliant, as I said, because it allows another three years of data collection for Dex, which is phenomenal. But during the collaring process, it also allowed the researchers to gather quite a wide range, uh, a wide range of, of information about Dex. They measured his tusks, his legs, the bottom of his feet. They took a hair cutting from his tail. And really interesting is they took a sample from inside his trunk because as a researcher, he's learning about mites found inside the trunk that helps keep the trunk clean, and they want to know more. So lots of fascinating information to come out of Dex. So thank you again. That sounds so cool. And I know I love learning more about Dex, and I'm so it's so great that the color is being used. So during COVID, you have given school groups in the U.S. virtual safaris. How do people react? That's right. So I know that COVID and lockdown was a really difficult time for everybody. So we thought it would be so fun to bring groups on a bushwalk with us in the area that we live and expose some of the smaller, more complex parts of the bush with people from all around the world. Um, it was a really great opportunity to bring nature to everybody sitting at home when they couldn't escape into the bush themselves. And it was also a really great opportunity for us to talk to many different people about conservation and use it as a great education tool. So I think that everybody really enjoyed it. I don't know, Kate, you tell me, did everybody enjoy it? Yes, I think that is something great you're doing. And even though you can't be in Africa, it's still amazing getting to see it. So I think the virtual safaris are great. Okay, so now here's the call to action. Do you think my generation can help stop poaching and help save wildlife and wild spaces? What exactly can we do to take action? Kate, I think it's a really important question or a number of questions that you've just asked. And my short answer is yes, 100%. Your generation can take action and can make a difference. Um, there's a huge range of options in ways that you can get involved to help. And I can speak from experience when you say, well, I'm just one person and for you, maybe even a young person at that, what impact can I possibly have? But the answer is you can have a big impact because if each one of us did one small thing and made one small difference, then collectively that would be a massive, massive impact. 
So in terms of things you can do, um, the most simple is to have a conversation. It's all about education. So you could have a conversation with your friends or with your family and tell people about rhino poaching, tell people about pangolin trafficking, about deforestation, about climate change. There's so many different things we can talk about and you would be shocked at knowing so few people really understand what's going on on the ground. Sometimes you think that maybe you don't know enough, but I can guarantee that you know more than some of the other people around you. So that conversation is really important. Um, another great thing to do is start a conservation club, which you could use to help advocate for a cause that's important to you. And you can also use it to maybe raise some funds for a project that you would like to support. Um, and if anything, as we said, again, use it as an education tool to bring people into the club, make it cool and um, spread the word. Uh, there's other things as well. Um, Kate, I think your generation is one where you grew up with computers, with access to technology that my generation for one definitely did not have, which means that some of the ideas that you all can come up with will far surpass <laughs> any technology ideas that I may have. And so use them, come up with cool ideas of ways that you think that you can help rangers in the field, or if you come up with an idea of how you can better monitor elephants. Colors are bulky. Um, the areas that rangers have to patrol are vast, and I can tell you drones aren't working yet. Um, the colors, as I said, they're giving us data, but they're not always, they're not always reliable. You know, it's things that we kind of expect that should be ready and and working but there is so much that we still need and you guys have got the power to put the ideas forward don't ever think that any idea is silly or not good enough if you don't put it out there you never know and we need you each and every one of you so please get involved and know that i for one and everybody else out here that i know we want you on our sides and we would love to answer your questions and help in any way that we can. And Michelle, that's what we're doing here at Club 15. I mean, we're inspiring people to take action and they can learn about technology by going to our learning lab and seeing how camera traps actually work. And maybe that'll spark someone's idea of something, a new amazing technology that can help save animals. So yes, we need every single advocate we can get. Well, that was my final question. Thank you so much for talking with me today. And everybody, you can click on the links to learn more about Wild Wonderful World and about all the amazing things Michelle is doing. Let's go!